Hi, I'm Peter Tragos, host of the Lawyer You Know podcast and YouTube channel. The saying goes, everyone hates lawyers until you need one. Well, I'm here when you need one to answer your questions and give you insight that you didn't know you needed. Welcome back to another episode of the Lawyer You Know podcast. And today, it's a solo pod. So if you're going to turn off now, I don't blame you, but I'm going to be talking about the last trial we just finished, which is the longest post-COVID in-person jury trial in the Tampa Bay area. That's including Pinellas County, Pasco County, and Hillsborough County. We, Pete Sardis and I, did the longest in-person jury trial. It was a car accident trial. I'm going to get into some of the details of the trial, but what I'm going to focus on is what was different in a post-COVID world and what that was like for lawyers. So hopefully you guys enjoyed these podcasts. Please subscribe. Please leave us some reviews on Apple SoundCloud, however you listen to us or find us. Make sure you go to our YouTube page, The Lawyer You Know. Check us out on there. Subscribe. We're getting close to 2,000 now, so if you guys can jump over there and subscribe, that would be awesome. We are going to be doing some giveaways soon, so make sure you get in on that. So let's get into what this trial was like and how different it was for a trial attorney who's used to doing things a certain way. Trial lawyers are usually pretty schedule-oriented, regimented people who like to do things by the book, who like to stick to the rules. We learn the rules of the courtroom, the rules of evidence, the rules that are allowed in trial, and we stick to them. We don't like to deviate from them too much. Now, we're great at reacting. We like, you know, getting into battle. We like going back and forth. We like arguing. We like doing all that, but we like to know what the rules are because we like to be comfortable in the courtroom. And after you get your sea legs under you, it's one of the most fun things in the world to do if you are born and bred to be a trial lawyer. But Everything changed in 2020 when everything came to a screeching halt. Trials stopped. In-person hearings stopped. We're not in the courtroom. We're not behind the podium. We're not looking the judge in the eye. We're not looking jurors in the eye. Everything stopped for over a year. That is a long time for trial lawyers to go without trying cases. So just getting in the courtroom, and I was up against the managing partner of a big defense firm. Um, I shouldn't say managing partner. I don't know if he's the managing partner. I should just say one of the senior partners who's tried a million cases. And he was saying the same thing. He had just gotten back into it. He tried a case. I think it was only a day or two, um, long trial a week or two before our trial. So he had kind of gotten back into it a little bit, but this was going to be a more significant longer trial for him. So he was talking about how things were different, how he learned some stuff from that trial, but there were other things that he didn't know how they were going to go. So he kind of talked a little bit before the trial started about, you know, what we were going to do, what might be different, what we could agree to. He was a joy to work with. It was really easy and nice and smooth. I liked trying the case against him. We had a good time, but we both had to deal with the same difficulties. It's kind of like when you're golfing in the rain or in a serious wind and you're like, man, this is so unfair. Golf so much harder like this. Well, everybody you're playing against in that tournament is in the same weather conditions. And that's exactly what this trial was. We were both fighting under these same difficult conditions. The witnesses, the clients, the jurors, all were dealing with these difficulties that COVID brought in our trial. So let's get to it. First, some of you guys may have watched the Derek Chauvin trial or other trials on TV where they took off their masks as long as they were behind the plastic shields and they were able to speak freely. They were able to talk, take their masks down. You could understand them. They had microphones on or at the podium so you could hear them. That's not how it is in Pinellas County right now. We had to wear our masks the entirety of the trial. The witnesses had to wear their masks the entirety of their testimony or face shields. And the clients had to wear their masks. The judge had to wear his mask. The jurors had to wear their masks. Everybody had to wear masks. There were also plastic shields separating the jurors. 
the jurors were spread out six feet apart. Everybody practiced social distancing, which was difficult because some of the jurors were sitting in places jurors don't normally sit. So as lawyers freely move about the courtroom, using evidence, using exhibits, showing things, talking, walking a little closer to the jurors to show them something really important, we couldn't do things like that. We couldn't walk or stand in certain positions that we're used to standing in the courtroom. We had to move counsel's table further away and diagonal. It was kind of an uncomfortable position, and we couldn't see certain things that we used to be able to see. It was very strange. The defense lawyer especially struggled with putting a document up on the screen where there's a projector, but then he would also have a poster board put up on an easel, and that poster board would be blocking the screen from where the juror is now sitting, because where the jury's jury usually sits, that wouldn't be blocking their view. So we all had to adjust and adapt to how things were and how the courtroom was situated, which was very different. So again, we practice social distancing, jury selection, which is when we stand in front of 40 people and try to pick the six or eight best for our jurors. So we, for our jury, we had eight jurors total for a six person jury, which meant we had two alternate jurors and we did that. Sometimes we only pick one, but in the COVID era, my guess is we're always going to pick two in case somebody gets COVID and they've got to leave or we've got to do something where uh, we have extra backups basically. So jury selection, when we had 40 people, we did it in the big courtroom so there are some big courtrooms, some ceremonial ones, courtroom one, whatever it may be at your courthouse, some are bigger than others. We did it in the big courtroom so we could spread all 40 jurors out six feet apart, one one or two people max per pew. Basically, they're like huge church pews, and all the jurors come and sit in the room while we ask them questions. Now, this was a this is usually a difficult part of trial because you're trying to learn who's going to be fair and impartial, who's going to be a good juror for this trial. You're going to see who might not like you just off the jump because of the way you look or because you're a plaintiff's lawyer or a defense lawyer because your client's a man or a woman or because they're black or white or whatever. You're trying to figure that out while talking to the jury. And sometimes they don't always give you honest answers. We've done a couple videos. This is just a shameless plug. If you want to go check out our YouTube page, we did some videos reacting to some juror interviews after the the Derek Chauvin murder trial for murdering George Floyd. And that can really let you see into the mind of a juror. So if you want to go check out that link, it's on our YouTube page, The Lawyer You Know. We did a couple videos on it because it's really just, it's, it's really fascinating to get into the mind of these jurors and what they think and what they disregard about what we say and what they hold on to. So jury selection is really important. It's one of the only times as lawyers, you're allowed to talk to the jurors and get to know them. So we we did this with masks on, and sometimes facial expressions are more important. I can't remember what it is. Eighty percent of communication is nonverbal. Whatever that percentage is, it's a big one. And we didn't get a lot of that because the jurors had masks on. There were also a couple jurors by name I thought I recognized, but then when I saw them in the courtroom, I wasn't sure if it was them. We had to ask them to pull down their mask, whatever it may be, because that stuff's just weird that you don't really think about when you're picking a jury under normal circumstances that we had to deal with in this case. So it was very difficult when a juror was in the back right or back left corner and I was asking them questions and they were answering because a lot of times these potential jurors are uncomfortable, they're nervous, they're shy, they're afraid of public speaking and they don't want to speak out. So it can be impossible to hear what they're saying. So lots of times we had to ask jurors to speak up, stand up while they spoke, whatever it may be. We got through and I think it went really well. I mean, I think myself and the defense lawyer that did jury selection we made it work. Um, we got a lot of information. We picked a very good, very fair jury. And I think it all worked out and went really smoothly from that situation. But we started with almost a huge hiccup when one of the potential jurors had a wet hacking cough in the front row. So before jury selection even started, I just paused and asked if we could have a little bench conference with the judge and went up and asked the judge to dismiss that juror because all of the other jurors were looking at her. All the other jurors were trying to, you know, kind of stay back and looking nervous because she was literally hacking the entire time. Judge said, absolutely. I don't even know how she got in here. 
So we dismissed that juror, didn't really have any other issues with anybody exhibiting any symptoms because every day when you walked in the courtroom, you had to answer that you weren't feeling any of these symptoms. You had to go through the metal detector, which you always do, but there was an additional step. Now they were also doing temperature checks. So that happened every day, which leads me to one of the weird things that lawyers have to do now. We have to do temperature checks on all of our witnesses. We have to bring our own hand sanitizer. We have to bring our own masks in case any of our witnesses don't have masks. We have to bring our own cups or bottles. We can't, usually we have them on counsel's table, a jug of water to pour into a styrofoam cup or something like that. None of that existed. The bailiff was on top of everything. He was awesome, but it's also, you know, when a bailiff who's the only person with a gun on their hip in the courtroom tells you to do something or stick by these rules, then you do it. We had to walk a certain way to go to the bathroom so we didn't get close to the jurors. We had to make sure our masks were over our nose the entire time. I mean, we'll get to how that was one of the biz- biggest difficulties for me. So next, the witnesses. So the witnesses were behind a plastic shield, as you may have seen if you watched the Chauvin trial, but they also had to keep their masks on or put a face shield on, which again, makes it very difficult to understand what the witnesses are saying. So a lot of times we had to have witnesses repeat answers, or we had to make sure that the court reporter could hear it and things like that, which brings us to the next point, the court reporter who has to type down every word everybody says. I talk fast, so that's already a problem. I did opening statements and closing arguments. So she had to type down every word I said for 30 minutes in opening and an hour and 15 minutes of closing. That's a lot of words you have to type out. So she was telling me, she was like, good, you're really loud. I can hear you through your mask. I'm glad you're, you know, doing this part because I can hear you. Then she would go to Pete and say, your mask is a little too tight. Can you loosen it up? Sometimes it's hard to hear you. And she had to do that with everybody because everybody is a little bit different. Me and Pete literally had the same mask on, our Trago Sardis and Trago's mask. We were wearing the same ones. I don't know if mine was looser, if I'm louder or whatever it is, but we had to deal with that throughout the entirety of the trial. Every witness Pete questioned, she was having trouble hearing certain parts. So he had to make sure, and it's difficult, you know, you're up there, you're focusing on, you know, what you're asking. He, he, he uh, directed our client. So he was the one asking the questions when our client was on the stand and you're focused, you're trying to talk our client through this difficult situation. He got hit by a car on, while he was on a bike. And he's going through his injuries and the pain that he was feeling. And then every once in a while, he'd be interrupted because the court reporter couldn't hear him. So it throws you off your game. You've got to kind of get resituated and and get back realigned into where you were in your outline or your questions or whatever it may be. So he had to deal with a lot of that throughout the trial, which was difficult for us. You know, we had to, you know, we had to deal with that as we're going. So I had to be really loud throughout the entirety of the process. I walked around, made sure I was near the court reporter so she could hear everything I was saying. I didn't stray too far, but I made sure I was really loud. I lost my voice kind of throughout the trial every day. I already kind of have a raspy voice like that. So I had to really, you know, make sure I was loud the entire time and be intentional about that, which is something that, you know, I'm I'm normally loud, but I, I was took it up a notch for this trial. Okay, and then, so the jurors, like I said, had their masks on, and the judge also had his mask on, and every day he'd come with announcements, and he usually speaks, also speaks pretty fast, and would just give us stuff that is common knowledge, but sometimes we wouldn't be able to hear, and we had to ask him to repeat it, and he would laugh and say, I, I totally forget sometimes how fast I talk, how I'm not being too super loud, so I've got to, you know, make sure I'm doing it too, and the judge would even forget, which was always interesting and made it, you know, funny kind of throughout the process. Lastly, at the end of the trial... We always pull the jury. So they come with their verdict. It was in favor of the plaintiff. And we pull the jury. And usually the person that loses 
is very interested in what these jurors say, but a lot of times you want to see their facial expressions if they feel like they were forced into a certain verdict. If five jurors were voting one way and they were the only one voting the other, but the other jurors convinced them and they don't actually think that that's their verdict. So when you pull the jury, the judge asks every single uh, juror individually, is this your verdict? And the juror says yes or no. All six jurors said yes in this case, but if they would have had an issue and you would have seen a facial expression or a smirk or something, we wouldn't have even seen it because they were all wearing masks. So it was a really interesting case. It was a really interesting trial. We always look back and just kind of reflect on what the case was like. This was a case where our client got hit by a car on a bicycle. The defendant alleged he went out without looking both ways. She made an illegal left turn, hit our client. He ended up having a meniscus arthroscopic surgery. The initial offer from the insurance company was something like $7,000. So obviously we can't accept that for a guy that's had an arthroscopic surgery. We end up going to trial. Uh, they did put uh, some of the fault on our client for not looking both ways when he went to cross the street, uh, but the verdict was $175,000. So well worth it to go to trial. Great result for our client. So the the masks and stuff didn't hinder it from that point. It just made it a little more uncomfortable and a little more difficult. And really the biggest issue for me was I was pouring with sweat the entire trial, breathing my own hot air right into my face, just having that, just, it's always hot in the courtroom because I'm up, I'm talking, I'm heated, I'm on edge, I'm listening to every word, scrutinizing every word, standing up for objections, not letting anything get passed. That's just how I try cases normally. Always stressed, have a headache at the end of every day because I'm so focused while I'm in the courtroom. So I'm already usually hot or sweating when I'm in the courtroom as it is because my adrenaline's pumping. It's like, I say it's akin to playing a sport when the Friday night lights turn on. That's what trial is like for me. So I am hyped up. I've got adrenaline pumping. So I'm always kind of on that hotter edge. I love when the courtrooms are freezing. Most times everybody else is cold and me and the judge or the other lawyer, the only ones that are feeling good. This judge particularly said he usually likes his courtroom to be cold. So I was happy with that. And he did crank the air down. But when you're breathing hot air in your face on top of all that other stuff, it is hot. My undershirt was soaked every day, just kind of pouring with sweat because of these masks. So that's something, that's a big reason I'm ready to get rid of these masks, at least when we try cases. The second one is I really like seeing the expression of the jurors, the witnesses, the lawyers, everything throughout the trial. You miss a part of it. You miss a part of communication. You miss a part of the feel. You miss a part of understanding what's going to happen or being able to project which way the jury's leaning if you can't see their their nonverbal cues and facial expressions throughout the trial. So that's something that really makes this trial experience different. We had a bigger trial that was going to be a two-week trial that was supposed to happen a couple weeks after this trial, and that one I was a little more worried about. Um, It would have been highly contentious. We did end up settling it right before it was to go to trial, so we didn't end up having to do it, but that one I would have been more interested to see if there would have been bigger issues because another thing that you know a lot of people don't think about if you're not lawyers is when you object and have an argument you have to make, you don't make a lot of them in front of the jury. So what you do is you go up for a bench conference and you talk to the judge. You just have the two lawyers and the judge and you discuss something. The judge makes a ruling. You go back to your seat. You keep going. Well, because of social distancing and all this, we couldn't do that. So every time we wanted to have a bench conference, which was only a couple times throughout this trial, we had to ask the judge, the court reporter, the lawyer, everybody to go out in the hallway. We had to carry the court reporter's laptop, chair, table, stenography machine, which is like another little machine she types on, and herself and all of her wires out there every time. So you kind of look like a jerk, which is tough because you've got to represent your client. You've got to protect the record. You've got to make these objections and arguments throughout the trial. So you have to do it. And the jury's looking at you like, seriously, man, you've got to do this again. We've got to sit here for 15 minutes and wait. 
So the judge, we we had a conference with the judge afterwards to try to see how we can make things better going into the future because we're going to have to be dealing with these for the near future. So the judge thinks, and one of them was the judge said he is going to make sure he's the bad guy whenever we have to go out and do a conference in the hallway, which I think is is much appreciated by the lawyers because the judges were all lawyers. So they know what it's like to be us. They know how we have to protect the record if we're going to appeal the case, whatever it may be. They've got to know that they can't make us look like bad guys and have the jury not like us or give us a non-favorable verdict because we're following the rules of the court and doing what we have to do to represent our clients. And that's we're not being annoying with these objections. We just have to make sure we make them. The judge can rule however he rules, but if he ends up being wrong and we need to appeal it, we need to have that protected. So having the judge be the bad guy is very beneficial for the lawyers so the jurors don't hate us. The jurors always love the judge, so no matter what the judge does, they're going to still love the judge even if they you know make us go out into the hallway multiple times when it's really the lawyer's fault. But that's really helpful. So things like that are just kind of uncomfortable, weird, annoying, because we don't want to feel other pressures outside pressures to not do something that's best for our client because of COVID and because it's more difficult or takes longer than it used to before we had all these protocols and restrictions in. Additionally, DeSantis's uh, new executive order saying that the counties can't do all this stuff. It's not going to affect trials. The courtrooms, so we hear right now, are still sticking to this masks, uh, social distancing, shields being up, but maybe it'll change in the future and we'll keep you posted if it does. But I want to do just a quick recap of this trial. It was fresh in my mind. All the differences COVID brought, what was difficult, what wasn't so bad, and what the near future is going to look like. So if you guys have any questions about this, please let me know. You can find us on social media at Tragos Law. You can find us on YouTube on the comments. I'm always answering questions on there. Make sure to hit us up. We'd love to talk with you about this. Let us know if you have any topics you want us to hit. Thanks for being with us.